right, Ephesians 2, we're going to start in verse 11 first. Let's uh, pray and we'll get right to work. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've given us eternal life and this life is in you. And now, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. Because you've given us new life to live in a new way, we want to walk in your ways and follow your leading. We want to do what we know is right and true and good and healthy and life-giving. And we confess that sometimes we're just pulled apart by all of our inward tendencies and all the noise around us. But we've come again to you, Lord Jesus. You speak to us. You work in our life. And as you make things clear to us, Lord, we commit before we even listen to take action, not to prove our love to you, but to follow in obedience because you've proven your love to us. And because you've loved us this way, we want to now love you in return. We want to live lives that are pleasing to you as devotion and gratefulness for your grace towards us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. We're going to read Ephesians 2, verse 1. Um, but what I love about good news today is, is it, it brings everyone together. People from different skin colors and political persuasions church backgrounds, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And it's important because we live in a divided world. Would you agree? We are, just, we are divided on, on everything, whether that's how we look, whether that's the passport we carry, whether the political label we choose to take, whether it's the sports team, you're a duck or a beaver or something else, the neighborhood you live in, I'm from Oak Hills or whatever, hello, wherever. Um, the, 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 the kind of housing you have, those things divide us. Our, our relationship status, whether it's married or single or divorced or remarried, whatever the case may be, those are labels that can bring us together or pull us apart. Even, this is strange, but it's true, what church you go to. Oh, you go there? Huh, interesting. <laughs> or whether someone goes to church or not. There are all sorts of barriers that divide us today, and I'm going to call them walls. There are walls that our culture puts up. There are walls that we put up. But at the deepest level, and again, the reason we're so committed to good news today, at the deepest level, we want those walls to go down because we're human. And we have very real cultural differences. We don't ignore them. We celebrate them. I'm a rice and beans guy. Why? My parents are rice and beans, and their parents are rice and beans, and Adam and Eve are rice and beans people. <laughs> and, and, and that's my cultural line. That's totally okay. And if, that's, if you're more of a noodles and sauce kind of person, fantastic. We celebrate it. I invite you over. You invite me over. We, we love one another. But that's not, that's not where our culture is headed, is it? You think like me, you look like me, you act like me, you spend your money like me, and then you're a part of the me club. And we live in a divided world. And we got to remember, human life is a gift. You're breathing, that's a gift. The Bible tells us that. Spiritual life, renewed life, eternal life, Jesus life, the Christian life is also a gift. We've been looking at it in this letter. Salvation is by grace, through faith. It's not of any working that we've done. It's the gift of God so that no human can boast. You can't boast. God's given you breath, and now he's given you new breath, the Holy Spirit. The word for breath and the word for spirit in the Bible are the same. New breath. You have the spirit of life 
living in you. And so with all these real differences, we have to ask the honest question. How do we live as Jesus' people in a world filled with walls? Walls have been placed against us and walls that we build up ourselves. Well, thank God for the Bible. And Ephesians 2 is going to pick up on this theme. We're going to start reading in verse 11, but for background, if you missed it last week, I'll actually start in verse 8. Because it, it frames 11 through 22. It says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And now this is the new material for this week. Therefore, based on what we just read, therefore, remember... That formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called, quote, uncircumcised by those who call themselves, quote, the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have not been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus, or he himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he was put to death, by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. I love this one statement. By him, Jesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working together to bring us back. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And you're also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building's joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. If you're new, the first chapter of this letter was about the right response. When you realize what God has done, he's chosen us, he's, he's predestined us, he's worked this all together, he's brought us to Christ. The right result is praise to God. We live lives that are thankful. Why? He did it. And prayer, we call out to God. The world's broken. It's still broken. Even though Christ brought peace, we live in a fractured world filled with war. So we can go to him because we've been in Included. And then chapter two is about the dividing walls. The first half we looked at last week, the podcast is up if you missed it. The dividing wall between me 
or we and God. We're separated by our transgressions, our sins, creates a wall between us and God. He loves us. And what we realize is Jesus punches through the wall. He breaks the wall between me or we and God. And in his love on the cross, he provides a way for us to come back. But the second half, what we just read, is about the other wall. There's a dividing line between me and God or a dividing wall between me and God. But there's also division between me and you, and us in the world that we live in. And so what do we do about that? Like I said, whenever I read a long passage, I'm just trying to get in my brain. I can't say everything. But can I say it in one sentence? Here's my one sentence for the week. If it's helpful to you, great. If not, pretend and write it down. Jesus brings peace with God and each other by inviting us to live as one new family. Let me say it again. Jesus brings, he brings peace with God and each other by inviting us to live as one new family. And that's, that's what we see. That's the flow because he reminds this church that we're prone to point out our differences. You saw two groups in this little text. Maybe you missed it, the little quotes. There's the uncircumcision and there's the circumcised. And in their church, there was real cultural clash. Now, we, we live with a little less, a little less cultural diversity in our church and in our part of the state and in our part of the world. There's a little bit of diversity, but in a state where 80 plus percent are Caucasian, that ain't all that diverse. But I grew up in New York, and you see the world in New York City. Everywhere you go, you almost have to fight to find English because the languages and the cultures and the smells and the sights and the sounds, the world is in one place. Well, this is Ephesus, and this is a pathway to the Roman Empire, and this is a port city, which means people are coming in and out from all over the known world, and it, it, it shows itself in the church. And so you've got a couple of major groups. Remember, Jesus came to give us new life so that we can live in a new way. And so he reminds this group in the church, both of them, but he starts with one, with the uncircumcised. Now, what are they? These are people, like the rest of us, we would be the uncircumcised in that we didn't grow up, most of us didn't grow up in a tradition where we would trace our lineage back to Abraham and, and Moses and David. Most of us are not from that lineage. We would say, I come from the Hebrew faith or from the tribe of Israel. Most of us, that's just not our story. And so they had that external marking. The Jews had the external marking for men called circumcision. Just Google it and just don't look at pictures. It's gross, okay? But, but this was an outward sign saying that man and his family belong to the people of God. God marked out a people. You're my people. This is going to show that you belong to me and I belong to you. But he talks first to those who are uncircumcised because there was a cultural clash within the church. Three things I want us to remember that are going to help us to think about the walls that we're facing. We're going to look at them, but their situation is totally different than ours, but the heart is still the same. There's still walls. We're going to look at their walls. We're going to look at our walls. Three things to help us to navigate it. First one, write this down, please. Remember who you were. Remember who you were. 
Don't forget where you came from. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you formerly who were Gentile by birth and call uncircumcised. And then verse 12. Remember at one time you were separate from Christ. There's only one command in all of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. In the first half of the letter, he only tells them to do one thing. Now, once we hit the second half, he weights everything, and he gives them a lot of things they need to do and not do. But for the first half, he only gives them one command, and it's right here, remember. The one thing that you're supposed to do is, hey, if you do not come from the family of Israel, if you're not of the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you ought to remember. Now, why remember? Because we're prone to forget. We're so prone to forget all that God has done. As a matter of fact, the Bible is filled, the first half of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is filled with a call to remember. Because left to ourselves, we will forget the goodness of God. Left to ourselves, we will forget that God provides, that God gives life. We will forget that God lovingly made an agreement with us. I'm going to cause you to thrive. By the way, I made you and the universe. But I want you to thrive, and I agree to bring you to a place of thriving. Follow me. And we say, God, I want the thriving. I just don't want you. I want the blessing without the blesser. I want the gift without God. And that sounds like me. And it sounds like you. This is our story. Remember who you were. Now, culturally, you need to know that there was a real dividing wall. They're a church, but here's the problem. Their background is filled with hate and animosity in ways that most of us don't understand. I don't know if you've ever felt the heat of cultural racism, that people look at you differently, down on you, or you look down on others because of the background you have, because of the nationality you have, because of the economic system that you come from, because of the passport you carry, because of the color of your skin, or whatever it is. There, there, we are living in a world that's culturally divided and racist to the core on every angle. Now, the big racial tension for them, and it was not just religion, it was Jew, circumcised, Gentile, which means the rest of the world, uncircumcised. And the key is verse 14. I'm going to read it again. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus comes to bring peace vertically, us with God. We've offended him and we're on the outs, not because God is bad, it's because we have sinned and fallen short of the goodness of God. But Jesus comes to bring peace with God. But what the church needed to remember, and we need to remember, is peace with God is not the end of the Christian story. It's just the beginning. Peace with each other under God's good rule is the transformation of the Christian life. We are saved from the world to life with God so that we could bring the life of God to the world. And the path is peace. And so he says to the church, 
who's small, mostly meeting in homes around the city. The church doesn't have buildings for 300 plus years. They can't buy property. They're an outlier group. They're not a recognized religion. But they're Jesus' people all over the city, and many more are coming to faith. And what they're doing is they're trying to live out their faith in a world where the Jews stay on one side and the non-Jews stay on the other. Now, what happens here? Jesus destroys the barrier. The problem is, when it came to worship, uh, if, you, if you were a f- circumcised, you could go and worship at the temple. If you weren't, you couldn't. So they come from two different ways of seeing closeness to the presence of God. The Jews realize you must be from this line or must convert to this group in order to enter into the presence of God. That's just God's path. That's just God's way. You have this other group saying, we don't come from that tradition, but we've fallen in love with Jesus. And so you're saying, and then it gets even worse. Well, there's certain things you can eat and you can't eat. And there's certain days you better worship. And there's certain patterns of your life. And so you have this tension, this cultural tension. How do I follow Jesus when we don't come from the same place? And here's what we're going to find. We need to remember who we are. Now, when it comes to racism and cultural, um, cultural ideas, you need to know this is how the Jews looked on non-Jews. The Gentiles said, the, uh, I'm sorry, the Gentiles said the Jews that they were created for the fires of hell. That's why God made them. How's that for a welcome? Uh, it wasn't lawful for a, a Jew to help a Gentile give birth. Why? Because all they're going to do is give birth to another non-Jew. Um, and if a Jewish boy dared to marry a Gentile girl, the parents would hold a funeral for that child who married a non-Jew. Because as far as they're concerned, they're dead to us. Now this played out in the temple and in the way people worship. There was a big dividing wall. I'm going to put a picture on the screen because I want you to see it. I want you to see the cultural tension. The temple building, the tall part, is where, is where the most holy place would be. Just outside of that, is where you would bring the sacrifices. The male would go through that gate. Now inside is the court of women. Men and women could be there. Only the guys go through that wall and bring the sacrifice and the priest lay it before the altar. Everything outside that wall, see that wall? Everything outside that is the court of the Gentiles. That's the place where non-Jews could be. Do you see how impossible it is. And if you have good eyes, on the right-hand side, there's that small wall out there, that small wall. You're really supposed to stay outside of that small wall, not even go up to the steps. And here's one of the signs excavated, and I quote, no foreigner is to enter within the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. End quote. This was the life of God. Only God's people coming God's way get into God's presence. This is interesting. Paul has a word to the Gentiles first. He doesn't have a word to the Jews first. He has a word to the Gentiles. Everything that God created, by the way, none of this was bad. This is how God designed it leading up to Jesus. And he says to the Gentiles, you just remember who you were. You used to be on the outside wall. Remember. You had no relationship with God, no relationship with the covenant, no relationship with the law, no relationship with the blessing. Remember who you were before Jesus. But then he says in tongue-in-cheek to the Jews, 
Those of you who are part of the circumcision, brackets. Watch out for brackets. It's a qualifier. Yeah, that's stuff done by human hands. In other words, don't you think because you have an outward mark that you have an inward benefit. Jesus is up to something bigger than that. Remember, Gentiles, you were separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God, but everything's changed. Look at verse 13 again. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. Hopefully the temple picture is a visual. You, foreigners, us, we've been brought near by the blood, not of a lamb. He's pulling in this metaphor. This whole passage is a metaphor about that temple. Because Ephesus has the great temple to Artemis. Seven wonder of the world. And the Jews have their temple in Jerusalem. Both of them understand the importance of coming to God God's way. Both of them understand that to be in God's presence and in God's space is what you really desire. And he says to the non-Jew and he says to the Jew, don't you forget, it is the blood of Jesus that brings peace. Not any sacrifice at the temple to Artemis and not any sacrifice done at the temple in Jerusalem. So Paul is an equal opportunity offender. And I love him. I figure I might as well offend all of you, not just some of you. And so he, in one sense, he slams all of them. He's actually not slamming. He's speaking the truth. Verse 14, for Jesus himself is our peace who makes the two groups one and destroys the bearers. So remember who you were. Second thing you need to remember, we're going to get to our walls in a minute. Remember who you now are in Jesus. And please write down the entire statement. Don't just remember who you are now. Remember who you are now in Jesus. So the Jew and the Gentile, they would never, hear me, never worship together unless the non-Jew if he's a male, was circumcised and converted through a long process to become a Jew. So what's happening in their mostly house churches is a miracle or a ticking time bomb. You have these Jews who everyone knew. There was a huge Jewish population in Ephesus who they kept to themselves. Why? We want to keep to Torah, and we don't want to be defiled by the world, so we will put up walls. At the temple, there's a wall that keeps the Gentiles out. Here's the problem. That wall moved beyond a physical wall. It became a cultural wall where we only allow our people in. Not that that ever happens today. And so there may be a legitimate reason for a wall, but they go beyond what the wall, the wall was never to keep everyone in the world out. It was to recognize that God is holy and there's a right way to come in. Do you know a wall is a blessing or a burden? It's a good thing, right? But when that good thing becomes a way to keep people down, that's not a good thing. Jesus himself is our Peace, so peace with God, peace with each other. And why? Verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So 
Jesus is about one new thing. Now, this is, this is the implication. This may not be interesting to us, but it's radically important as we think through our walls. Because what we want, let's not kid ourselves, is we want to help people understand how right we are. If I could just educate you to my rightness, then, and even the fact that I said my rightness, those on the left are like, why did he say rightness? Why didn't he say leftness? <laughs> you understand? Because we're, we're, we're polarized. And social media, all it's done, it's a neutral platform that's just thrown fuel to a fire that's already there. Social media didn't cause these divisions. It just gives me the details in real time. And so, so the division is already there. And, and so there's, it means the Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to enter the most holy place, the presence of God. This may not seem like a big deal to you. But when it comes to us living out our faith, this is radical. God says, through Jesus, there is one new humanity. So the Jews don't become Gentiles, and the Gentiles don't become Jews. In other words, when it comes to the walls, remember who you were. You used to be excluded. Jesus let you in. And in light of that, remember who you are now are in Jesus. Jesus is a peacemaker. He's called the Prince of Peace. It's on all your Christmas stuff that doesn't have Santa on it. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What does that mean? We are not to build walls pushing people away. We are to recognize that there are walls and be the people of God, the people of peace, who say that wall must come down because Jesus has made a way. So there's one new thing. What's this one new thing? You and I have been invited to one global family called the church. And so the church isn't the Jewish church. It's not the Gentile church. And, and I don't mean offense by it, but it's not the Russian church or the Greek church or the Romanian church or the American church or the Ugandan church or the Zimbabwean church or whatever church. It's even though, you know, sometimes you pass by the Korean church or this church and they're identifying that, hey, if you come here, the gathering will be in that language. Nothing wrong with that. If they didn't do that, I'd be like messed up because I'd go into worship and like everyone's speaking in tongues. No, it's Korean. <laughs> and, and so that's a, that's a helpful thing. But you know that could be a wall? What if I learned Korean? Am I allowed in? What if I never learned Korean? Am I allowed in? I got Google Translate. I can understand everything that's going on. Here, here's where we need to be careful that we don't create walls when Jesus came to destroy walls. That we don't bring division when Jesus came to bring peace. So it's by grace through faith that we're invited and brought into God's family. And look at verse 19 is where he's headed. Consequently, this is the result, because Jesus didn't make Jews become Gentiles. He didn't make Gentiles become Jews. He created something new. You are no longer foreigners and strangers you, those who are out, are now fellow citizens with God. You're with God's people. You're members of God's household. And it's built on this foundation, the apostles and prophets. And, and Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. This is all 
temple language. 100% of this comes from the temple. And now that building had a cornerstone that was the marker that everything else was built on. Now it's not about a building. It's about Jesus. And in him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together? What does that mean? He's using... He's like mixing metaphors. Everyone who studies English is now frustrated with him because pick a metaphor and run with it, right? He just mixes everything. You're this, you're that, you're a building, we're a family. Oh, by the way, joined together and rises to a holy temple. So we're not just any building. We're a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together. So I'm not in the building, I'm part of the building. That's weird. And we're a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I'm a wall or I'm a door and God's presence comes in. He's, he's throwing these metaphors because they understand temples because they were everywhere in Ephesus. The place where God meets with people is now the church. You and I together. So remember who you are in Jesus. You were filled with sin. By grace through faith, you've been brought out of your sin into new life. You were excluded, now you're included. And God somehow is grafting one new humanity, one new temple, and from every tribe and tongue and nation, here we are all together, we're a part of it. And this is the place, and catch the metaphor, where God's glory dwells by the Holy Spirit, where we are, God is at work in the world, which ought to excite you and freak you out. Because this is not a club. This is the place where God wants to re-transform our lives. He wants to bring healing and wholeness and life and thriving through not an institution, but through a people. You and I have been included. You're a part of the church. Third thing, in light of this, remember that Jesus is building something new. He's, he, so he calls them fellow citizens, so that they're from the same, same country. And then he calls them the same household, so they're from the same house. And then their holy temple. And everything is built on Jesus. And here's the metaphor. This is interesting. There's two kind of stones. There's the cornerstone, which is the place that is the plumb line for everything. Like everything's resting on this huge rock. And there's a capstone, which is on the top. And the, the building's complete. And this is what he says. Jesus is the cornerstone. The implication is Jesus is still building the building. The building's not done. He's not the capstone like, it's over. Only these people get in. Everyone else is out. No, he's the cornerstone. And through the apostles and the prophets early on, the church was started. And over 2,000 years, it's grown and grown and grown and grown. And more and more people are being added to Jesus' family every day. And all these metaphors are, metaphors are pointing to the way that we ought to think about the division in our world. So what does it mean? It means the church together is now the place where God's presence dwells. The church is now the place where God's presence dwells. And some of you are like, really? I've been going to church since I was six, and church is boring. This is God's desire, that this is the place, not this building. This is the Northwest Event Center where the church meets. Do you catch that? Frankly, I mean, one day we may own a building. If that's in, in God's plan, he'll have to probably knock me over the head 
to, to move in that direction. Because I've seen too often that when you gain a structure, life becomes about the structure. When you got married, it was about the relationship. Then you own a home and it's about the mortgage. And, and you're like, uh-huh, yes it is. Well, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. And I love the fact that we meet in a rentable space because it says good theology. Jesus' people meet in spaces big and small. God's presence meets with us in homes and in coffee shops and in car rides and on FaceTime and here when we're together. God's presence transforming Peace-giving, wall-destroying presence is the goal, not another building. And he has to tell them in a world filled with religious buildings, you are God's building. And this is why the division in their world can either reflect well on God or poorly. And so let's just get into the practical side. Verse 15 again. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So on the cross, here's what Jesus kills. Hostility. Whatever is keeping you hostile to God, Jesus destroyed. Whatever is keeping us hostile from each other, Jesus destroyed the hostility. The excuse to hate someone else, Jesus destroyed it. The cultural bias that we've grown up with and was thrown down our throat or put in our ears when I was realizing it, Jesus came to destroy not the culture, but the hostility that that culture can bring. Do you understand what I'm saying? Any one of us can be an agent of peace any one of us can regurgitate the walls that keep us separate. But Jesus came to destroy hostility, and he already did it. So to reconcile is to bring back to harmony, to make things right again. That's what reconciliation is. So Jesus reconciles us uniquely. No one else can, can bring us back to harmony with God. Oh, that's great, and that's many of you, if not most of you. But let's just get practical. Has that affected the way we live towards other people that are different than us? Have we made it our goal to say, because God knocked down the wall between me and him, wow, now I'm like a temple. Now we're like a temple. Now the presence of God goes with us wherever we go. Wouldn't it be cool if there was division and we brought peace rather than fuel to the fire. And this, my friend, is the call of the Jesus follower. So Jesus brings Jews back into harmony through the cross. Non-Jews, Gentiles, back into harmony through the cross. And then Jesus brings us together. The church doesn't make sense. In terms of clubs and organizations, we're a mess. Because we, we have all sorts of differences the color of our skin, the culture that we come with, our marital status, our economic status, our, all of our, we, we come together, and if we were actually did a list of all of our stuff, who I am, and, and just match it together, like, man, you're not going anywhere. 
Because you guys are all over the map. What you need is synergy. What you need is, we need to narrow your focus. And Jesus says, I came to destroy that narrow focus and welcome everyone home. And that doesn't mean that my culture doesn't matter. And that my viewpoint doesn't matter. So don't hear me like on the right, on the left. The the duck beaver one, that's the easier one. Um, I don't know which one is better. But when it comes to Democrat and Republican, hear me. You belong to Jesus. And frankly, what you're registered to can be a practical help because it gives you the ability to vote within a certain stream. But the moment I am a blank Christian, you have put up a wall. I'm a Republican Christian. I'm a Democratic Christian. Or if you want to be really spiritual, I'm a Christian Republican. And put Jesus first. We live this way. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm sticking with politics because you get with race and I happen to be Puerto Rican and I've seen it firsthand. So we have all been affected by walls, but here's, here's what Jesus comes to do. Hear me. Is to bring peace. Not the absence of difference, but the ability to celebrate that life is a gift and we are all human, and salvation is a gift, and it comes in and through Jesus. So the bigger picture of my life ought to be the cross, which doesn't keep people out. The cross is the entryway in. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that new life is possible because he lives, we too will live. So what does this say about how we live as a church? It means Jesus-loving duck fans embrace beavers because they belong to Jesus. And that when it comes to politics, we can have our opinion and our opinion may be, it may be better. But I don't want more walls. What I want is more of Jesus's life. So it works with the rich and the poor. It works amongst cultures and races. And, and um, is one message gonna change our biases? No. I'm a realist. But you cannot deal with what you have not exposed. And if we don't deal with the horizontal relationship that God has brought us into, vertical, peace with God, now horizontal, peace with each other, if we can't learn to model humility here, why would anyone want to become a Christian? Why would anyone want to follow Jesus when they look in and they see, okay, so we got bigots out here. Why would you want me to be a bigot in there? Or maybe that's a little too blunt. We need Jesus to deal with our walls. This is the question for the week. Please write this down. If you wrote nothing else, write this down and go and bring this question to prayer, to the Holy Spirit who will expose your areas of pain where you've been hurt and the areas where you're inflicting hurt on others. What walls have we built up that Jesus has already come to tear down? 
boy, that's a question. What walls have we erected that Jesus came to remove? So let's ask the Holy Spirit to expose our hearts to bring peace, healing, restoration, thriving, wholeness, God's presence, the temple. And he will do it. Friend, even though every day before Jesus you had some inclination, we can no longer make the excuse. Well, I'm a Christian, but I can't help but, and then fill in the blank. Yes, you can. Because you're part of the new humanity. You have the Holy Spirit. So you can learn to live in a new way. And you can actually change by God's enabling power to live more like Jesus and reflect Jesus in the way you think about education, in the way you think about politics, in the way you think about finance, in the way you think about church, in the way you think about relationships. Jesus ought to invade all of life, not just Sunday life. And I think that's part of our challenge. We've relegated Jesus to Sunday and said, you can have the spiritual dimension of being whatever that is. When Jesus looks like a spiritual part of you, all I see is you. I see the physical you, I see the emotional you, I see the part of you that connects with me most deeply, all I see is you. And here's what I come to do, bring peace to all of you. And so how are we gonna live different in light of Jesus? And what walls are we gonna ask him to tear down in us so that we could be people of peace? Let's pray. We started the gathering prayer because we're desperate. Maybe you're not, I am desperate. I need God, otherwise I can't do any of this. All right, we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to work in us. If you're not yet a Christian, right now, become one, right now. Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your beauty and your glory. I don't deserve you, but I believe that Jesus, you alone paid my sin debt in full. You destroyed hostility, whatever is keeping me from you, God. Now remove it. I want to walk in your ways, and you are a child of God. And then, my friend, get baptized this morning. Do it now. For the rest of us, maybe the Spirit is saying to you, it's time to stop. Or it's time to begin. I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit drive that. Why don't you stand on your feet? Uh, I have to say this, because otherwise I'm a mean-spirited person. I absolutely love you. I absolutely love you. And it's because of love that we deal with tough stuff. And because of God's love that we can receive transformation and change. Holy Spirit of God, now we invite you to do the real work. We've heard the word. Now we want to be doers. Holy Spirit, drive our thinking. Holy Spirit, drive the way we feel about these things. Holy Spirit, drive my emotions. Holy Spirit, bring clarity where there's clouds. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what only you could do is transform us to be Jesus' people in this world, proclaiming peace through you, Jesus. Help us, help us. Oh, help us, we pray.